the first century of the Christian era when these words were written featured attempts to hijack Christianity. Cults and heresies abounded as part of the devil's effort to destroy after the fact what he failed to subvert before the fact. The Judaizers taught that it was necessary for Gentiles to become Jews before they became Christians. In our scripture lesson from Galatians 5 today, we heard Paul's words about that very heresy. The church's position on that heresy was a direct epistle from the council at Jerusalem. But there were other heresies. The epistle to the Hebrews sought to combat the tendency among Jews who were converts to Christianity, and there were many, to go back to the old ways, to the old forms, and the ceremonies of temple worship. That tendency was the failure to appreciate all that the Lord Jesus Christ represented and accomplished through his death on the cross. And so one of the themes of the epistle to the Hebrews is that however great the teaching was in the ceremonial system, Christ is better. The issue was clear. Would the professed converts to Christianity go on from the foundational truths of the gospel to embrace the fullness of Christian living? Or would they drift away, drift back to the old forms and shadows of the ceremonial law? The Holy Spirit's message in this epistle was that Jewish ceremonialism was not an innocent addition to Christianity, but an insidious subversion of Christianity. The first century believers were not to look for a bridge between Judaism and Christianity. They had to look for the uniqueness of Christ. They had to look to Christ. The message was clear. A person either accepted the terms of the gospel and surrendered every other way of worship, or he demeaned the person of Christ. The approach of the scriptures was not harsh or abrasive. Nevertheless, the words of Hebrews are hard to escape. Either Christ is superior to the old Levitical priesthood or he isn't. Either the sacrifices have ended or they haven't. And if they haven't, then the saving significance of the work of Christ on the cross is a dead letter. 
At other places in the New Testament, the difference is just as clear. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, said that there are no such things in the church as Christian Jews or Jewish Christians. There may be Christians who were born as Jews and brought up in Judaism, but when they become believers in Christ, they become Christians. The very need for the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century shows how readily the gospel doctrines become shadows of themselves. They become something that resembles gospel doctrine, but is far from it. The implication of our text in Hebrews 2 and verse 1 is that when it comes to the truth about Christ, the followers of Christ, the professed converts to Christ, must be vigilant. That is, they must guard against their tendencies to forget the truth, to forget what they have heard. The pressure to abandon the truth is always present. And in these days, it is very subtle. And then, in other cases, very tyrannical. This text exhorts us to guard what we have received. And so our text presents to us the theme of abiding in the gospel. Abiding in the gospel. If we were to take a survey of the history from the time of the Reformation to the present, roughly 500 years, we would see in that history very discouraging developments. One departure after another from the truths for which so many of the first generation Protestants sacrificed their lives. And that trend increased dramatically during the second half of the 20th century. So the result here now in the third decade of the 21st century is confusion about what it means to be a Christian. Now the, the common denominator has been lowered so far that just about anybody qualifies. If somebody says, I love Jesus, well, he's in. He's a Christian. That confusion is evident all about us. Some have redefined the critical terms of the gospel so as to allow tolerance for a more ecumenical spirit in what passes for Christendom. So they can regard Romanism, for example, as a low-level Christian denomination. Some have tried to say that Romanism teaches justification by faith in such a way that evangelicals can agree with their teaching. Now, just so that you don't 
leap to your own conclusion, I'm going to tell you right away that that is wrong. That is wrong. The plain statements of Scripture do not allow such an approach. So we cannot, if we are to be faithful under Christ, abandon the truth that we find in the Holy Scriptures. So we have to guard against forgetting the gospel. This text presents us with three aspects of abiding in the gospel. First, a compelling imperative. A compelling imperative. The opening of the text includes the word ought. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. It's the word for must. It's the word for necessity. We must give. It is necessary for us to give the more earnest heed. The message of the Holy Spirit is that we cannot be indifferent when it comes to the truths about Christ. We cannot adopt the attitude that, well, everybody has his or her own particular view. We have ours, others have theirs. But for Christians, it is the truth of the gospel, or it is disaster spiritually, and in every other way. This imperative rests on what appears in the previous chapter of the epistle. And that is why we read chapter 1, so that we would have the context to the word therefore at the beginning of our text. We read in chapter 1 that God has sent the angels forth as ministering spirits. Notice, for them who are the heirs of salvation. That is, there's a distinction between those to whom the angels minister and others who are not the heirs of salvation. So if you talk about guardian angels... Here's the Bible's definition of them. The the angels God sent forth to be ministers for those who shall be heirs of salvation. So a guardian angel is not a pin you wear on your shoulder. The The guardian angels are witnesses of Christ. And they have come to promote his glory in the world. They have come to preserve his redeemed people throughout their lives in this world and to bring them safely to glory. The angels God sent forth. And they worship Christ, we read. Because of the angels and because of the revelation of God in Christ, we must give the more earnest heed. This imperative rests then on the strongest possible foundation. 
The message of chapter 1 as we read it is that Christ is far superior to the angels. That as glorious as they are, he is far above them. He is the ultimate revelation we read at the beginning of chapter 1 of God himself. God in these last days has spoken unto us by his Son. And because God has spoken unto us in these last days by his Son, you must give the more earnest heed. This phrase, the more earnest heed, is also a striking expression, for it means to have or hold before. It carries the force of continuing to hold the mind to an idea. It means then there is a conscious effort, that is, it doesn't come about by accident. Or osmosis. You concentrate even more intently on the terms of the gospel. Giving the more earnest heed to them. Peter wrote of the importance of this earnest heed. Let us turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Some time back we did a series through 2 Peter. And in the first chapter there are some striking things that the inspired apostle wrote. Verse 12. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things Though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. So Peter's message to the people to whom he wrote was that you already know what I'm telling you. I'm not writing these things to you with the idea of informing you or persuading you that you already know them. But I'm going to tell them to you again. And that was the ministry of the apostles. When people had trusted in Christ, they continued rehearsing for them the message of the gospel. I well remember years ago at Bob Jones University, Bob Jones Jr. preaching often in the chapel service at the university would say that one of his favorite texts was line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And the emphasis was 
You've heard these things many times, but you need to hear them again. The Old Testament carried similar entreaties to give heed to the revelation of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Verse 46. Here's Moses about to take his leave of the people of Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do, all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. And through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Set your hearts, he said to them. That is a conscious act. Turn your thoughts to these words. Not just for you, but also for your children and your grandchildren, for your descendants who come after you. The implication being, if you don't give the more earnest heed to these things, then those who come after you will not know anything about them. So the force of the imperative in our text is that you cannot be slovenly when it comes to what you believe. Because your heart may lead you to neglect the message of Christ. And in that neglect, you begin to backslide. That's all that you need is just to start neglecting that message and pretty soon the flesh asserts itself. So we read here, you ought to give the more earnest heed to all that you have heard. And that requirement leads us to the second aspect of our text, a precious inheritance. What are the things that you have heard? That was the message of the Holy Spirit to the Hebrews who received this epistle. What were the things that they heard? The force of the verb for giving heed here is striking. It means we don't go out by nature looking for this truth. We heard these things because God brought them to us. The force of the expression is the things that we have been made to hear. Parents know what it means to convey something to a child. And even though the child has heard what the parent has to say many times over, the parent still has to grab the attention of the child. Look me in the eye. Pay attention to what I'm telling you. And even though the child may say, I've heard all that before, you need to hear it again. And you need to hear it again. 
The Holy Spirit emphasized here the supernatural power in the preaching of the gospel. When the gospel affects the soul of a person, the Holy Spirit has been at work. You see it in the eyes. When that person's eyes are clear and grasp the truth, what do you know? The Holy Spirit has been at work. Only the Spirit's ministry makes you to hear anything to do with the gospel. So what are the things that we have heard? of which we read here in our text. Well, in the previous chapter, we find them set before us. I don't have the time to expound on them, but I'm going to list them at least for you so that you understand these are the things of which the Holy Spirit spoke, the truth of divine revelation. God spoke in time past to the Father's by the prophets. Now he has spoken unto us by his son. All of the ministry of the apostles was a reflection of the fact that God spoke unto us by his son. The truth of divine revelation. That's what you have heard. So, we read here in the text, Give the more earnest heed to the truth of divine revelation. If you do that, it doesn't matter what people in the world around you say. The supremacy of the Son of God is another one. Something else that you have heard. The supremacy of the Son of God. That Christ is preeminent. He is above all. And then, of course, also in chapter 1, how could we miss it? The reality of divine creation and providence. Verse 10, thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. A few weeks ago, we considered Genesis 1 and that theme of beginnings. Here's what you have heard. But what's the problem? You see, the heart rebels against that truth wants to evade accountability. So, we come back to the emphasis. Don't forget what you have heard about creation and providence. And then the glory of Christ's essential deity. That is, he is God. He is God. Or as The Nicene formula put it, very God, a very God. That is not a man pretending to be God, but God in the flesh. Something else that you have heard, the sacrifice of Christ to purge our sins. We have heard those words again and again. We're going to talk more about it tonight. Then we have heard of the victory of Christ. We read of that in chapter 1. And his ever elevation to glory. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. 
That's where He is. He has triumphed. He has risen from the dead and ascended up on high. And you have learned of the superiority of Christ to any other being. I was already thinking on this text when our regional prayer time took place this last Thursday and Reverend Gallagher brought a short word that confirmed that I was to go along this line. Revelation chapter 1. So we add to the list of the things we have heard what we find here and a few weeks ago when we considered the theme of endings in Revelation 21 and 22. We heard the same expressions that we find here in verse 8 and verse 11. The words of Jesus. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. The beginning and the ending. What's what we have heard? The superiority of Christ to any other being. And we may add to the list other things that we have heard, such as that God's people are to keep themselves unspotted from the corruption of the world. And that includes religious compromise and the corruption that goes with it. The third verse of Hebrews 2 refers to the greatness of the salvation that we have heard and the woe that attaches to us if we neglect it. That is, we must not take for granted what we have heard. And this reception of these great truths underscores the importance of the last aspect of the text, a sobering incentive. A sobering incentive. Why, why must we give more earnest heed to the things we have heard? Lest at any time we should let them slip Here's the danger. This expression, let them slip, occurs only here in the New Testament. And the picture of the word is of a ship trying to reach its port, its harbor. But the wind is contrary to the ship's passage. And because of that wind, it slips past its port. It's unable to reach its destination. So that's the picture of the word that the Holy Spirit employs here to suggest the danger that we always face of letting things slip. The Holy Spirit warned in our text that these truths will slip away from those who neglect them. 
You don't pay attention to them. You don't put your mind upon them. They will slip away. The great illustration is what happens to us, and we all have to confess it. We hear these truths in the house of God on the Lord's day, but during the course of the week we hear so many other voices. Things happen at work, or things happen at school, or things happen in the community around us. Things that we hear on the news, we hear these truths that they speak, that they think are truths, and we tend to pay attention to them, and we start to let slip the things that we have heard. You see, just hearing the gospel is not a guarantee that you will persevere in it. Perseverance of the saints is a biblical doctrine, and it has the idea that you will not just drift along somehow and come out all right at the end. It means that you will take your responsibility not to neglect the things that you have heard. So this text breathes the atmosphere of resolve and commitment and conviction. Here is a text that deals with the perseverance of the saints. We ought to give the more earnest heed. You think you've done enough? No, the scripture here says, do more. Give more earnest heed. Beware of the danger of treating the gospel in a half-hearted fashion. Let us turn back to Deuteronomy again, to chapter 4 this time. Deuteronomy 4. Verse 9. Only take heed to thyself. How many times we encounter this exhortation in the Bible? Take heed to thyself. Paul said to the Ephesian elders when he was bidding farewell to them, Take heed to thyself. And keep thy soul diligently. Lest thou, here's the danger, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. And lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Lest, lest. So there the danger is. Lest you forget. The words that we have heard concern Christ. And they come from Christ. This very epistle of Hebrews emphasizes the peril of neglecting what Christ has said. Let's turn to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Verse 25, see, notice again the command here of the scripture. See 
that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, that is a reference to Moses, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. The things that cannot be shaken. Those are the truths that we have heard. The truths that the Holy Spirit has brought to us. The message is to neglect this salvation. Is to encounter the judgment of God. So, give the more earnest heed, we read here, to the gospel. That is, focus your mind more closely on the words and works of Christ. That is, abiding in the gospel. Not just some casual adding on to your life, but your life being informed completely in the gospel. If you have listened, even superficially, to the message of this pulpit, then you know that we have committed ourselves to proclaiming these truths at every opportunity. So what does the text tell us? Don't. Let them slip from you. We have young people here today. And your lives, at least as far as we know and as far as you know, are stretching out before you. Well into the middle and latter portion of this century. That's not true for others of us. Don't let these things slip from you. Time will go by. The voices that you heard in your youth will be silent. Lest at any time you let them slip. Those who remember the gospel, those who abide in the gospel, are those in whom the Spirit of God has done His work. Those whom God has caused to be born from above. This is abiding in the gospel. And it is the great challenge of the Holy Spirit to us in our text today. Give heed so that you do not let these truths slip away from you. Oh, may God give us the grace to give heed more earnestly to these things that we not let them slip from us.